Howdy, y'all. Let me get that out of the way. How are you doing? One, uh, it's, thank you for letting us come here today. I know you didn't invite me, but I feel invited by you, okay? So thank you for letting us come. Uh, we feel like God has uh, a heart to reach all the nations. And we thought we were moving to North Africa, actually. We were looking at houses in Casablanca and thought this is where God wants us to set up and, and do his work here in this place and had been sending people to places like that for about eight to ten years. And uh, God rerouted us, and I'll share more about that probably in a second, but uh, ran into a, a guy named Guy Miller. How many of you know Guy? He leads Commission in the Family of Churches. And uh, it was supposed to be a 30-minute coffee, and it turned into a three-and-a-half-hour coffee. And he was crying, and he's saying, I feel like this is a holy moment for you as, as a couple when we met. And said, have you ever thought about being both a missionary and a pastor? And then my wife starts crying and says, that's what we've been praying for for like the last five years, a place where we could do both. And then he starts laughing, and he's like, I think God wants to do something with you in London. Would you move to London and plant a church in London that would reach uh, people from Muslim backgrounds? And would you help us as commission send people to the nations? And so what began as a short walk from Paddington Station to Edgware Road in London, if you're familiar with that, led to us getting vision for God to send from the nations that live in London to the rest of the world. And so uh, we've, we've been able to see God confirm that, um, but God is at work. He's doing something in all the nations, and many of us in this room are, are just evidence of that. And so, yeah, that's, that's why we began this journey. There's a lot of miracles along the way. Ten days after we uh, felt the call to raise funds and to come and say, we're going to raise money to live in London, which sounds like the stupidest idea in the world. Um, we did that. We found out we were pregnant with our second child ten days after that. And God in his mercy took, took care of us. And so it's, it's been a journey. But we love the U.K. Uh, when we drove out to the festival for commission, just to give you an idea of where Americans' brains are, we put on the Downton Abbey uh, theme song and drove around Bath and we thought, have we gone to heaven? So we, we love it. And today's great because we can see this thing. Um, it's really unique to us in London, but this is called nature. And so these windows are a gift from God uh, to us. And it's just a joy to, to be with you guys. So. You got a lot of questions. Oh, we're not going to do all of them. We're not going to okay. do all of them. I, but this is, a, this is a big one, an important one. Okay. How did Jesus first call you? into missions and uh, ministry? Gosh, I, I do have a sermon to preach, okay? <laughs> um, uh, for me, uh, I grew up as the son of, of a pastor and actually had a great experience in that. My father planted a church in, in Washington, D.C., and if I, I didn't share about my parents' impact on my life, I wouldn't be honoring my father and mother in some way. Um, my mother was the, the type of mom who would come to the dinner table and say, who did you share Jesus with today? And I thought that was normal, but every day she was doing that as a school teacher. Um, she was the type of school teacher that led a, a Sikh mother to faith in a parent-teacher conference. That was my mom, okay? And uh, public school settings in the U.S. where that is illegal to do that. So that's, that's mom. And so there was definitely uh, prayers that have been prayed for us. I think we're receiving the fruit of that now. But for me, that really came to a head when I was 19 years old. I was diagnosed with bone cancer and given a 20% chance to live at 19. 
And what God did in that moment was take a pretty arrogant pastor's kid and heal him from bone cancer in a way that I said, Jesus, if I'm still alive through this, whatever you want to do, wherever you want me to go, um, I'm here. I'm for it. And so he said, okay, you sure? You know what you're signing up for? Had no idea what I was signing up for. And it has been a, a wild ride, but met my wife also in a season of us saying, hey, God wants us to go and share the gospel with people. And uh, that led to a lot of opportunities of saying yes to things that I don't think, honestly, if I had been had that in my story and healed in that way, that I would have said yes to whatever. And uh, God has opened the door over and over and for us to just say yes to him and let him do the rest. And so our time is short. Uh, our time on this earth is short. Um, I believe you were saying, sir, that, you know, the days are getting shorter. And I feel that. And um, for me, I'm so grateful for that experience at 19 to know that life is short. And a 19-year-old writing your will and saying where you're going to get buried was a really great thing for me when it came to loving Jesus. But something you never wish on anybody, right? We all have those things in our story. Um, but for me, I thought, what better way to go through life in, than to do this? So it's fun. Yeah. And I get to hang out with people like you. <laughs> so there you go. Of course. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm aware that of the time, so uh, let's pray for you. And then he you also has favorite time. British food on here. What's your favorite British food? Beef Wellington, beef far and away. <laughs> that's, that's the best. That's the best. Let's pray for you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this man. We pray that as he opens up your word this morning, that you would speak powerfully to us through him. So come upon him by your spirit be your mouthpiece and come upon us by your spirit to have ears to hear. Open our hearts this morning. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Uh, we got to go to Alice Holt trails and stuff with his kiddos yesterday and uh, just super blessed to be with their family. We received some real hospitality, not necessarily UK hospitality, maybe some African hospitality from Simon and Debbie Wade, so they were amazing, and uh, we've just been blessed by people. Yeah, give, give them a hand. Yeah, yeah. We've been blessed by your congregation already. Um, it's a joy for me. I, I do know Joshua um, through the, the master's course he's taking at, at Westminster Chapel, which I get to help facilitate and see a lot of the pastors say, hey, we want to take a next step in our faith. And so it's just been a joy to see what God's doing in your church from a distance. Um, but to also be here on the day where you have both really meetings gathering together is a sweet thing. One of the things I hope you get today is that we have to live this life together. And we're going to be taking a look at the fruits of the Spirit in a way that maybe we haven't before. Um, and looking at how we get to encounter Jesus. Amen? Amen. Where can I turn for my amens today? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Great. Um, I, I do want to start with a, a very simple question. It might seem simple, um, but what do you desire is what we're going to look at here in, in just a second. Um, there's my family. I did not know they're behind me. That's great. That's our daughter, Lucy, who you saw earlier. And then if you go to the next one here, let's see if that works. That is my favorite picture of my daughter so far in her life. She's just doing what her daddy and mommy are doing. She's, she's praying, and that was uh, taken in, in Jordan, actually, as we're praying for somebody who's serving Jesus faithfully, and I love that we get to do this as, as a family. You can go to the next one there, and that goes with, with the story I got. That's fun. You guys want a fun story really quick? Because we got time, right? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> 
So the day that we, uh, we met with Guy first in the cafe at Westminster Chapel where he cried and then my wife cries and then she also turned to me, by the way, and said, I trust this guy. And I thought, wow, I should pay attention. My wife's telling me this. But the night before we had prayed, God, if you want us to move to London, would you make it snow? And if you remember December 12th, 2022, that was the afternoon that we met with Guy. And we walked out from Westminster Chapel. The day after, I prayed in a prayer meeting, God, if you want me to move here, you got to make it snow. People looked at me like I was so arrogant. Like, if you're testing God, you're saying, God, if you want me to come here, you're, you're commanding the weather. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just tired and I'm, I'm frustrated. I want to know what God wants me to do with this crazy life. And we talk with God. We walk out. We turn left. We walk towards Buckingham Palace and snow flurries are coming down. And that's the picture that night. So it was amazing. I don't know if it snows that often here, but it snowed for us, and that was a blessing. So praise God. Praise God for that. Um, but I, I want to ask you this, this question as we jump in here, as we talk about encountering Jesus, and it's this. What do you desire? What do you desire? And I mean that in the most practical sense. Why are you here on a Sunday morning in this community center? What do you desire here? What, what do you desire coming to a church in 2024? What do you desire? Why are you gathering with God's people? Why are you reading His Word? Why does your budget look the way that it does? What are you getting out of life right now that you're desiring? Are you desiring to be with Jesus? Do you want to encounter Jesus? Because he tells us in his word, if you seek me, you will find me. Do we live like that? Do we believe that? And so I, I want us just to ask that question as we get going. Do you want to encounter Jesus? Because I believe if you do, you will. And a lot of us don't know what to do when we do encounter Jesus. Uh, when I was a teenager, I would hesitate to read my Bible because I knew I was going to have to act differently. And so I almost treated it as this scary thing as if I touch that, I'm going to have to change what I'm doing. And actually, the older I get, the more I think, oh, that's really true. <laughs> the more I'm in God's word, the more my heart changes to hopefully look more like his son. And, and it's a joy for us to know the gospel, to hear the gospel. But let's try to experience the gospel. Can we do that? Can we celebrate the gospel? The gospel is simply this. It is good news. It is good news to humans, good news as a means of proclamation. It's good news that is spoken. Uh, you might have heard St. Francis of Assisi quoted in the wrong way that says, uh, preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. Number one, he never said that. And number two, that's clearly not what Jesus said, right? We're supposed to proclaim, to speak the word. We're talking about praying for the lost. I love that we're responsive in this church to pray for the lost. When someone's heart is burdened, that we would pray for the lost. Uh, I was sitting over here, and I was, as you were sharing, I was thinking, there are multiple parents in the room, actually, that need prayers today. Because there's parents with prodigal kids in this room today. There's parents that fear they're not raising their kids the right way, and that they are going to raise prodigals one day. But His grace covers all of that. Because the gospel proclaimed and the gospel spoken that people will receive the gospel when they hear the gospel. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the gospel is this. This might be the most 
famous of his quotes, but also the one that's probably most useful to me in my own soul. It says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you believe that gospel? Is that still good news to you? Or is that something that happened when you were in uni? Is that still good news to you? Or is that something that helped you break that addiction? Was it something you just used? Or does this change everything, right? And we just got to have an honest conversation. Does this still change your life? Or was it something that kind of helped you get to the next phase and mature? Was it something that you needed to kind of clean up your marriage in that rough season? Or is this changing your eternity? If the gospel is true, if if that very simple statement is true, it changes where you will be 10,000 years from now. And it changes where you were 10,000 years ago. I, I joked very intensely with one of my Muslim friends in London a few weeks ago. I said, hey, I'm going to be eating in 10,000 years. You're not going to be eating. You better eat better food right now. And we were joking over dinner. But that's how intense we were. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. I said, no, I'm serious. I'm going to be alive. Are you? And that's the kind of idea we have to have around the gospel. Are we believing this to be true? Or is this just churchy cultural stuff? Because if it is, there's a lot better things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. One, you could be asleep, right? You could be playing golf. You could be enjoying nature. But we get to enjoy our God and remind our hearts of the gospel together. I love stories in the gospels, the four gospels that we see in the scriptures, where Jesus encounters people and their reactions are very similar There's reactions of people that judge him, but there's often reactions of people that when they encounter him, they are healed before they can even speak. They are in awe of him. They change their lives. I love the story of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus kind of brings this question of what do you desire and the reality of the gospel together. If you imagine climbing up a tree. How many of you would climb up a tree today? I mean, the the reality is Zacchaeus was not a young man. He was not a little man. He was a little man, but he was not a little guy as in being young. He climbed up a tree to see, but he was a tax collector. He had cheated people. He was somebody who was a professional, if you will. He was not dressed to climb trees. He was dressed to extort money. And yet he's curious and he climbs to see Jesus. Maybe us driving out here this morning is you simply driving out. I guarantee you at the pub tomorrow night, there's people driving out there that are kind of like Zacchaeus. And they're saying, I think I'm checking this out. I don't know what this is all about. It's a comedy night. I'm lonely. I don't want to be with friends. I don't want to eat dinner by myself, so I'm going to go to this thing. I don't really want the Jesus thing, but I'm there. Do you see Zacchaeus in that? And what does he desire? He desires, he doesn't even know what he desires. He just knows there's this Jesus, and he wants to encounter him. One of the greatest privileges of of my life has been sharing the gospel in places uh, where they're considered unreached or places that have have even never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, One place I was in in North Africa, 
was uh, a 99.9% uh, Muslim community. And I got to go with a very unique group and, and team, and I was in my early 20s and got to go uh, share the gospel there. And what we would do is we'd pray, and literally we'd pray for two hours in the morning that God would give us somebody who speaks English, <laughs> and we'd get to talk to them, and maybe they'd lead us to someone to share the gospel with. And so we ran into this guy named Jack. And Jack happened to be uh, half uh, from a North African country and half British, actually. And he had a dad who was an atheist and a mom who was Muslim. And he considered himself an agnostic. And between a walk from where we met him on the street to the McDonald's, he went from atheist to agnostic. So we're on a pretty good track record here. We sit down. And I have a friend with me who's 58 years old, and one of those guys that's really passionate for Jesus to the point where it's like, you're not sure if you can take him to all social settings because he's so passionate. So we made sure we took him to North Africa with us, okay? And he was a great grandfather at 58 years old. He met Jesus in a federal penitentiary. And when I say he met Jesus, he, he met Jesus. He was trying to take his life in a federal penitentiary in silence and solitude. And Jesus came to him, in his words, appeared to him and taught him about Jesus. He encountered Jesus. So I know this part of Kenny's testimony. And I'm sitting there at a McDonald's with Kenny and Jack and one of Jack's friends who happens to be high as a kite on drugs. And this is one of the most interesting dynamics you could ever dream of, right? Only God could bring this together. And Kenny shares his whole testimony at McDonald's in North Africa and just loud and doesn't care. And people are, what, this is the weirdest thing. You know, I'm thinking we're either about to get arrested or God's going to do something. And, <coughs> excuse me, I turn to Jack and I say, hey, Jack, if Jesus showed up in your room tonight, would you follow him? And I'm like, did that just come out of my mouth? Like, what is, what is God doing here? You know, kind of when the Holy Spirit says something through and you think, okay, something's clearly about to happen. And Jack says, of course I would. If he showed up in my room, I'd follow him. Well, I said, why don't you pray that he shows up tonight? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what, what have I done? I'm like kind of shaking at this point. And he starts praying. And he starts confessing sin. And he starts saying things that I know there is no reason he's supposed to know these things. And I'm thinking, this is weird. What, God, what are you doing? Is the Holy Spirit doing this? Or is this some, like, am I on a game show being pranked right now? Like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm feeling. And so we, we say, okay, we'll meet up tomorrow the next day. And we meet up, and he shows me the top of his, what would be like an apartment complex or flats that looks out over the city to the ocean. And I'm panting, and I have my hands on my knees. And he looks at me, and he says, I met Jesus last night. I said, that's great, Jack. That's great. He said, no, no, you told me to pray, and I, I prayed, and he showed up in my room last night. Around 12 o'clock last night, I thought it was a shadow off a Coke bottle on the wall, but he came out of the wall, and he started talking to me. And he told me that he loves me and that he wants me to be in his family. And I'm kind of freaking out because I don't know what to do with this. My theology and my brain is just broken. I'm like, how do I talk? Like, do I disciple this guy? Does he disciple me? Like, what is happening here? 
And he goes on to start quoting scripture that he would have no idea what this is. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And he decides, not just in some prayer, but he says, I've met him. I have to tell other people about him. There was a response in his heart where he's saying, I've met Jesus and he's better. He ends up getting kicked out of the family by his uncle. He ends up sharing the gospel. His girl, then girlfriend would actually be the one to go on and share the gospel with other people outside the family. And it was amazing to see he has suffered from that. But I know I'll be with him one day because Jesus showed up and encountered him. Jesus showed up in his life. And it, it, that is a faith that is, is not just a rare story. That is happening in many places around the world. People having dreams and We've had people that have had dreams and then showed up to our, our teammates and friends and said, hey, God told me I was supposed to talk to you. Is your name Phil? And Phil's sitting there at a cafe feeling like a failure of a missionary. And he's been sitting there for three years and somebody had a dream and just comes up to him. And now he's following Jesus. God is doing things in the nations. He's redeeming people to himself. And so when we consider this gospel, we consider it is way bigger than us. God is doing things where we get to encounter him. And it was actually spoken, somebody said it earlier here, but just the freedom we have in Christ. And that's Galatians 5.1. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And I, I share Jack's story and others, especially with people that have been in the church for a long time. How many of you have been in church for more than five years? Your hand was up before I could say a number. You were born in the church. More than five years. Let's play like that wedding game, all right? Ten years. Twenty years. Thirty years. Now some of you don't want to tell your age, right? Fifty years. Sixty years? Anybody? Hey, you win. You win. We got, we got incredible blessing in that. To be in the body of Christ. As a pastor's kid... I have experienced more joy in the church than I could ever imagine in, in, in God's family together. And as a pastor's kid and a pastor, I have experienced more pain in the church than any other place in my life. But we can grow disillusioned the more we are in the body of God that Jesus is encountering the lost. We need people in our body to remind us that there's lost people out there. Some of us come to church so much we forget that there's people who aren't. And yet Jesus encounters people in his mercy so that we may be free. But in Galatians, there's this tension that Paul has reminding believers that they've been set free. In Galatians 5, we see multiple times throughout a lot of the epistles, but in here there's a specific moment where Paul is communicating the gospel to people who are already following and saying, why are you turning back? Have you forgotten when you encountered Jesus is what I think he's really saying. Did you know that you've been set free? You don't have to go back to trying to earn God's love. You don't have to go back to trying to earn his favor. You get to walk with him. Verse 5 says this, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Only faith working through love. 
the faith and the righteousness of Christ are gifts to us from Christ. We cannot go say, I want to earn this, and then I'm going to have it and store it up. If you're trying to earn God's love like money, you'll be the most miserable person who calls himself a Christian on the planet. You have been set free. You've been set free from performing for God. You've been set free from the law and you've been given grace. So it's through the Spirit by faith. And I love that because often we separate those, especially in our Western world. We say theology is over here and the work of the Spirit is over here. But we see clearly it's by the Spirit or through the Spirit by faith. So there's this unique opportunity. Jesus is not telling you and Paul is not telling you to turn your brain off. In fact, he's saying the opposite. The Spirit of the God working through my created beings, this is going to help them understand me and love me. And so is this gospel still good news for you? Is this something that still changes your life? And for us, we've got to see this as worthy of his grace and that he set us free. Verse 13 says this, For you were called to freedom. And we see this, especially when people encounter Jesus for the first time. When they're encountering him, when they're turning to him, the first thing you see many people do is repent of sin. There's a response of, he is holy and I am not holy. I have to repent. How would this holy Jesus have anything to do with me? But remember that moment for you. If you will go back, turn back the clock, some of you, today. For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to freedom. Remember that joy of salvation. Remember that you are free. Don't let Satan twist the good things of God. Enjoy this freedom. God's grace should be on our lips. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think of our daughter receiving a little pink scooter for Christmas. She was elated to have a little pink scooter. It was a gift. Do you know who she told about the pink scooter? Every single person at church. She went around and said, I got a pink scooter. I got a pink scooter. There was this joy that we never told her to do that. In fact, we told her, hey, just stop telling people about the pink scooter. (coughs) What if our Father in Heaven had to do that with us? What if it was this joy of, hey, I've given my son or my daughter this gift, and they can't stop talking about it. Because it's not old to them. See, there will be a month or two from now where Lucy will probably forget the pink scooter exists. And for many of us, we've done that with God's grace. We have forgotten the gospel. And so I I do want to ask you, if if you're not a believer, or if you've been in church and you're, you're maybe even ashamed to say you've never received God's grace, because you've been around, and people know you, Maybe you're in serving in the church and you haven't really received his grace. You're still earning his love. Maybe today is a day for you just to be free. Just to say, Jesus, I 
want to be free. I want to be free from sin. I want to be free from shame. God, I want to be free from performing for you. I just want to receive your grace. If that's you, I would just encourage you, just at the end of today, you're going to be able to pray and just repent of sin, and we'll be in a time of communion later for that. But see, our, our, our flesh is really what is, or our our really our wants or desires are often things that are combating God's grace. If you're honest, you probably don't like God's grace fully, especially our, our Western minds. We want to earn everything. We want to earn stuff. We want to receive because we did it. Uh, I was arrested at 17 for driving 93 miles per hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. Pastor's kid. Dad was uh, actually very gracious. Loved me, hugged me. I was so mad. I wanted him to be mad at me. You ever been in that position? I knew I messed up, so I wanted some, some retribution. Oh, just lay it on me, Dad. I'm, I'm a terrible kid. No, son, come here. I love you. Are you okay? What? I had to pay back the, the lawyer fee. I had to do 400 hours of community service shoveling dog poop at the local community center. So community centers and me have a great relationship. <laughs> um, he let me pay back about 75% of all my, my court fee and my, my bail money. I spent maybe six hours in jail. You would have thought I got out of the Shawshank Redemption, okay? <laughs> and he only let me pay back about 75% and says, son, thank you. You have worked so hard to pay this back. I got the rest. I said, no, let me pay you. He's like, no, son. Like, I've already taken care of it. You've worked hard. You've learned your lesson. You're fine. That's what God does with us all the time. And we keep trying to earn his love and say, no, let me earn it. Let me pay you back. I, I know you love me. I know you want to teach me. But if I could just do this for you, God, then you'll probably do this for me. What a slap in the face. When a father is saying, I love you. I'm teaching you a lesson. I've got this. I already took care of it. In fact, I gave my son so that you don't have to do that anymore. That's the gospel for us. And yet we, we get these strongholds, these things in our lives that we have set up where we say, you know what? I'm not letting God have that. I'm going to let God have all this stuff, but that shame is still mine. That's my shame. In fact, uh, when you look at the desires of the flesh, and I'll read them briefly for us. In Galatians 5, it says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This is things we desire. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a pretty long list. And then he says, things like these. You fill in the blank of things like these, right? I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are, some of these are very obvious and we say, oh, those are terrible. I would never do that. I've never done that. But for that, things like these... Be honest with yourself. What are you holding on to 
especially believer that's been walking with Jesus for a while. You've been reading this Bible every day, but you're still holding on to unforgiveness. You're still holding on to bitterness. What is that for you? I, I heard this story once in a context that was being translated, and so it really stuck with me a lot more because when you hear things translated, the time it gives you to think about what's being said is really helpful, actually. Uh, I remember this story well um, because it, it made me change and repent, and I hope it blesses you. But just imagine here, for the sake of um, analogy, I'll take out names and all the things. But imagine a young couple buying a house, which is pretty hard to do in the UK. My gosh. Imagine a young couple buying a house, and the previous owner gives them a great deal. I mean, you're talking like it's a basically a gift. He's given it to them, let's say, for a thousand pounds, brand new house. A brand new house that looks over Hyde Park. How about that? Okay. And he says, I've got one condition. You can have all this, but one condition. I get to keep the nail on the front door. It's mine. And the couple kind of looks at each other and is like, that's a weird request, but sure, maybe he's going to hang a wreath at Christmas. Like, who knows? And so they say, man, we got this amazing house. And they tell their friends, we got this house and it's this sweet deal. And they're kind of bragging about it. But there's this weird thing. Yeah, the owner's really weird. He wanted this one nail and he just said, if you just keep that, you can have this. And so they just are doing life. And about three months in, they hear this knock on the door, and they look out, and they have hung a dead dog on that nail. And the, the people that own the house are terrified. What has happened? There's this wicked, gross thing, and we've got to call somebody, and we've got to get this thing out of here. They see it, and once it's exposed that they don't own that nail, they find out they can't do anything about it. It has to sit there. In rot. Their neighbors think they're crazy. The police are investigating them. Things have been exposed because people are finding out they didn't really pay what they thought they did for the house. They didn't pay the full price. It wasn't fully paid. There was still a nail that wasn't theirs. They didn't own it. And so that dog begins to rot. And they're embarrassed, and people are seeing this, and this is, you know, it's just this nastiness. And if that dog's not nasty enough, just think of that. The smell. Think of what that looks like. See, we don't view sin the right way. That's our sin. I hope you got that connection there. And, and we, we allow these things to fester and to stink and to smell. And we don't have the fragrance of Christ, do we? Because we've been living a lie that we bought a house that we could not afford. It wasn't fully paid for. And so the, it becomes just a, 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 you know, a collar on the, the door and they're embarrassed and it happens again. And then a few years later it happens again. And finally they say, we've got to get out of this house. We've got to sell this house. We've got to get out of here. We can't live with somebody else's nail in our door. we got to get away from this. And that's an intense, kind of nasty analogy for you. But many of us have nails in our front doors. We have things we have allowed Satan to hold 
and to hold on to. And it could be a, a deep addiction nobody knows about. It could be the pride that we've never dealt with. But there is freedom from that. And if we believe the gospel, Jesus not only removes that nail, what does he do with that? He sticks that in his arm, in his hands, in his feet. And he takes our sin. And when I first heard that illustration, that's really the nails that are going in Christ, are my, my nails. When I hear that, I think, oh, I don't want that. Take that away from him. I know what my nails are, and those are dirty. I don't want that to touch my Jesus. And what a lot of us do is we, we try to swing the hammer and do it ourselves. No, I'll take the nail back. I'll put it in me. And we try to work for his approval and try to even, in a way, crucify ourselves. And we, we can't do it. You can get this arm in. You might get that in. But guys, only Jesus could do this. Only he could take our sin and our shame. And when we consider our sin, we see the roots of our sin. And it exposes us. And when we encounter Jesus, we encounter the nastiness of our sin, our pride, our rebellion, our unbelief. And I think it's critical when we look at the garden with Adam and Eve, we understand they didn't just eat some fruit. They rebelled against a holy and righteous God. And those are the roots of our sin. But 1 John 2.17 tells us this with hope. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Paul confesses this battle in Romans 7. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that then, and on one hand, I find myself with my mind serving the law, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Wretched man that I am. The gospel is not just about the cross. It's not just about you being forgiven once. It's about going all the way to the kingdom. We cannot see the cross as a single event. Don't miss out on the importance of the resurrection and the ascension through his ascension, Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us, it is better that I go so that you will have the gift of the Spirit. And often we do not live as if it was better for him to grow, go. The atonement of Christ, or really he covering us for our sins, is all about him fulfilling what we could not do. We could not do it. And as you read the scriptures, it might be easy to, to see yourself as the one in the scriptures all the time, but it is Jesus throughout the scriptures who's taking on the punishment and the, the undesirable, even shameful position of the cross, being hung on a cross so that we don't have to. Christ paid that price and gave his life and restores our identity as sons and daughters. And that causes us to have this restored identity. And I think that's something that he wants to do with us. It's not just leave you where you are and saying, oh, he I feel like I've got this weight and this sin and this guilt, but he wants to restore you to the family. And Galatians 5, 7 says this, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Jesus wants you part of the family. He doesn't want you to turn back, doesn't want you to turn away. He wants you to be in his family. I love, uh, again, the stories of when people encountered Jesus like the, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. 
she wasn't in sin, but her society said that she must have had something wrong. She must have done something. She must have been sinful. And I can't imagine being in that culture where they would say that. But she reaches out, and it tells us in the Scriptures, Jesus is actually on his way walking to perform another miracle to heal, heal someone else. And as Jesus is walking and he's surrounded by the disciples, he says, stop, power has gone out of me. And that she had reached up and touched his garment. Now, if you're in this setting and you think of Jesus as this teacher and he has all these men following him and this is a crowd and people are pressing in and this woman that's rejected by society reaches out and grabs the hem of his robe and he turns down And it tells us in the scripture, she was healed immediately after 12 years. Turns down, and I love what he calls her. He calls her daughter. Now, I think a lot of men today, if they were having their groupies around them and walking through a crowd, and some lady grabbed their robe or grabbed their jacket in the middle of the city, they would say, hey, get off me. Don't touch me. Why are you grabbing me? What does Jesus do? Daughter, you're part of my family. He restores our identity into the family in a way that only he can. He gives us opportunities to encounter him and engage him with spiritual disciplines. I would just call these simply prayer, scripture, uh, the confession of sin, doing life together in community, um, reading his word. These spiritual disciplines are like weapons in a battle for us to wage war on our flesh. These aren't just things that we get to do in, in community and have fun with them. These are for us to say, you know what, my heart is wicked. I need to go to church to be encouraged to fight my flesh. My heart is wicked. I need to read his word so I change the way I live. I know I'm sinful. Wretched man that I am, says Paul. I need others. And yet we can't turn these spiritual disciplines into this legalistic thing. Uh, Dr. Jeff Robinson says this. He says, Do the tendencies to legalism and license sound familiar? Then flee to Galatians and find glorious freedom from the bondage of continually proving your goodness to God and find joyful liberation from your desires for liberty to chase after the world. For every Christian can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have an incredible Savior. He takes everything that we've done and he forgives us. And and, and we get to forgive others in community. And with you gathered here as two churches, and as I close, I want to challenge you to forgive. I want to challenge you to receive forgiveness. That Jesus would take your wounds and your brokenness. That he would heal what has not yet been healed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, when we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive the brethren. What God did to us, we then owe to others. He restores us, He's forgiven us, and He redeems us with a purpose. Go down to Galatians 5.22 and we'll close with this.
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We want to pray into that in this moment. Would we crucify the flesh, acknowledging what Jesus has done? And in fact, as we, this is perfect if you want to come up. We're going to go into communion. And as we do this, we get to see Jesus for who he is. We get to recognize what he has done for us. And that it is for freedom that he has set us free. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. These fruits of the Spirit are not just for somebody living on an island. In fact, you cannot do this alone. You cannot experience the love, the joy, the peace that God has for you in His body. You cannot do this alone. You are invited into the family of God. Jesus is the kind of God that reaches down and says, daughter. He's the kind of God that looked at those friends that opened the roof for their friend. And they lowered him into Jesus to be healed. And he forgives his sin. And I love that he does it because of the faith of his friends. See, this Christian walk is not just for you. Your spiritual gifts are not just for you. The Spirit of God is not just for you. When Jesus said, it's better that I go, that so you have my spirit, he meant it for us. And you and I are part of that same family. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that when we encounter your love, we get to repent of our sin. I pray for anyone that is in a moment of, of wanting just to be free, as we talked about, and experience your grace for the first time, would they receive the gospel? We pray for those tomorrow night that would be connected. Would, would they hear the gospel? We pray that we would go the way of the cross and not our own works, that we would receive your grace, knowing we're forgiven of sin. Would you restore identity? Would you remind people, especially people that have been walking with you for a long time, that they are not your employee or your colleague or your worker. They're your son and your daughter. Would we live as new creations in Christ? And would you redeem our purpose, not to live on our own, but to live in the power of the Spirit? Would we walk away more in love with you and enjoying each other? In Jesus' name.